Good morning. Good to see you. It's good. Actually, it is really good to see all of you. It's awesome. And uh, excited to be here today. I always get nervous before I come and preach. Every time, I still get like butterflies in my stomach. Every single time. And I sit there and it was funny, when I was getting ready this morning, I prayed and I said, God, uh, you know, I pray these prayers and I'm like, God, use me, God, speak through me, God, you know, all these things that, that pastors do. And, and then this morning I just stopped and I, I, I stood for a second and I just said, God, are you going to show up today? And I just really felt in my heart, like, we have to, if we're not here expecting to meet with God, why would he show up? Right? Like, we're, we're here, and I just was like, God, more than, than me speaking a great word, more than me preparing this great message, God, I need you to show up today. And, and I need you to show up because I need a touch from you, and, and I know these people need a touch from you. So I'm just going to open up in prayer, and then we're going to get right into today's message. But, but Father, I want to thank you that today, even in worship, while I was worshiping, I was just singing a song for the first couple, and then you stopped me, and I started singing to you. And Lord, forgive me for when my eyes are just not in it, or on you, and my heart's not in it, God. And uh, I just don't want to go through the motions today, God, and I don't want us to go through the motions either. I want, I want, to, I want to meet with you, Lord, and I, I want, Holy Spirit, you to come and meet with all of these people. And so, Holy Spirit, we just take a moment just to acknowledge you, that you're in the room, that you're here, that you love us, that you call or care, care for us, and that you've called us. And today, as we lift up the name of Jesus, and as we go through this message, Holy Spirit, just speak to our hearts and bless us. We need you so much. Jesus, we love you. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you're here. Amen. Okay, I feel better now. Let's go. Okay, we're continuing our series on living hope. And how many of you enjoyed Pastor Maddie's message last week? It was really good. He, he rocked it, man. And then Pastor Greg had a couple of good ones right before then. If you haven't had a chance to listen, make sure you go online. You can check out all the sermons online. They're great. But as we continue today, um, I think it's important for us to understand, as we're looking at the end times and we're looking at how to be a disciple in the last days, you know, there's a big contingency in the church that's like, this is not the last days. It doesn't matter if this is the last days or this is not the last days. What matters is that we learn how to live in a disciple as the day that we're in, right? And that God has been setting this stage for thousands and thousands of years. This is amazing. So today, if you have your Bible, and how many of us brought our Bibles? Not as many as I hoped. And I got convicted by this because I was at a conference a couple weekends ago, and they don't put the scriptures up on the, on the, the thing, and I, they're like, if you turn your Bible, and I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, we're doing that now? Like, we're going back to the Bible? And, and I didn't have my Bible. I left it at the hotel. And, and so then I was pulling up my phone, and then I was like, I was like dang, this church, they're, they're, everybody got their Bible. So I was like, let's get back to the Bible. This is good. Anyway, bring your Bibles to church. You need them. Bring them everywhere you go. Daniel chapter 2 is where we're going to start today, and we're going to look there. Uh, and I want to look at a time... When God's people were under just extreme duress, massive, like extreme persecution, horrible, and it was an incredibly amazing, scary, horrible time to be alive. Now you got to picture this. Uh, it was the time when there was a king. He was the most powerful king recorded in the entire world. Does anyone have a clue what his name is? Nebuchadnezzar was his name. Thank you, Betty. Betty knows. Nebuchadnezzar was his name, and he had just attacked Jerusalem at the time that we're looking at right now. Literally came in, disrupted everything, like just totally demolished the entire land. 
just like stole their young people from their homes, placed them in his own, you know, indoctrination. He just killed people. Anybody that was in his path just murdered, totally wiped them out, desecrated the temple, stole all their beautiful objects, took it all, and just wiped out Jerusalem. Just wiped it out. This king, he was one of the most incredibly brutal tyrants that the world has ever seen. It's unbelievable to think that, that God's people are invaded by this guy. Nebuchadnezzar is a tyrant in every sense of the world. He had power, strength, all the glory. He was in charge of men and women, wild animals, and even the birds of the air over all the earth, the Bible says. Isn't that crazy? Well, what do you mean the wild animal? I read that the theologians say that people couldn't even hunt in the woods without getting permission from Nebuchadnezzar. Like, that's how serious this guy was. That's how, how, how crazy his reign was. And, and like, you could just imagine the, the um, immense time that they were living in. It's crazy. So he lays waste. He makes the people their slaves, right? They're indoctrinated. It's believed that many of the young men were actually turned into eunuchs. Some of the young men that I'm talking about today, even Daniel, was turned into a eunuch. Does everyone know what a eunuch is? Uh, you, yeah, some of you don't know. <laughs> Guys, if this was you, and Nebuchadnezzar brought you in, he would have he would have castrated you. Seriously. Yeah, that, that puts a little bit of oomph into what we're talking about, right? Some guy said ouch in the front row here, but he would have castrated you. You would have been, you know, I heard Carlos preach this at youth one time a long time ago. He said Daniel was a eunuch. And okay, never mind. I'm not gonna say what he said. <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you. Who wants to know? <laughs> who doesn't want to know? Okay. The, the who wants to knows have it. He said, Daniel, he said, Daniel, for a guy with no balls, sure had a lot of balls. Okay? Because Daniel stood, anyway, we're going to get into that. We're going to see a little bit. That was Carlos, not me. So you can talk to Carlos. Think about that, though. You guys, he was robbed. All these young people, these young men were robbed of their ability to even have a family. You think about that, their legacy ended right there. You know how important it was for a man to, to create a legacy and to have a son? And it was important back then, and it was important to have a family, and it was important for these guys to pass on their generational. And, and for, for most of them, that just ended right there. That was it. Just a quick, well, I don't know if it was quick or not, but anyway, it was done. You know, if you wouldn't conform to what Nebuchadnezzar wanted, if you wouldn't conform to this kingdom, they'd just kill you right there. That was it. There was no judge, there was no trial, there was no, you know, court of appeals, nothing like that. You were just put to death right there on the spot. That was it. Well, we don't care. He didn't care. He didn't have a conscience. He didn't, he didn't think the way that you and I think. It was just, you're against me, you're dead. I, I don't care. You're brutal. There was no talking your way out of it, right? I find this story actually, you know, in the time of Daniel, I find it really hard. I find it really hard to, to reconcile in my heart. We see Nebuchadnezzar coming and attacking God's people. And the Bible tells us that God is with us and for us and not against us. And, you know, that he's going to protect us from our enemies. There's our front guard, our rear guard. And, and then I read this story, and God's people are just absolutely decimated. The temple's destroyed. Their city's laid waste. And I look at that, and I'm just like, man, this is, this is a crazy thing, right? And, and the thing that I found when I prayed and when I've studied 
the scary thing that I found is that God's people were so far removed from God. They were so far removed from a relationship with God. They had no God conscience even that it was like he was just hands up, like he wasn't even there. They were his people in name only, really. Not in their heart, not in their convictions, not in their attitudes, not in the way they were living their lives. There was a small handful and a few of them that were really in love with God, but most of them didn't even care about God. It's kind of scary to think, so God just hands up and their nation falls to ruins because the people of God aren't really seeking God. They're not focused on the right things. They're not, you know, their hearts are not in it. You understand what I'm saying? It's scary. It's scary to see that. You know, we see that God, though, has a few people that are living right and a few people that are good that are now in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and they're being indoctrinated in the ways of Babylon and they're, they're being taken, you know, taught, taught the ways that they're supposed to live now. They've been stripped of their identities. Think about this. Nebuchadnezzar took these young men that had their own names and said, that's not your name anymore. Here's your new Babylonian name. You're not going to identify with who you were. You're not going to identify with what you were. You're not going to have a legacy anymore. You are all this or you are nothing. We live in a culture a little bit today that's trying to say, you know what? It's all what we say or nothing. It's a little bit like that now. It's interesting. It's just, let's pull out some, you know, some thoughts that way. God wants to prosper us in the middle of persecution, though. He wants to exalt some of us in the middle of tough times, in the middle of hard times. Now, it's safe to say that none of us in this room have gone through tough times like Daniel has, right? But I think there's a time coming, and there is a time coming in the Bible that says, the end times, that these things are going to happen again. And then, you know, nations in the world, these things are actually happening to Christians. There are Christians being beheaded right now, today. Today, Christians will lose their lives for the gospel's sake. And they won't renounce. They're not going to turn their heart from Jesus. They're going to stand strong, and they will be martyred today. You know, it's pretty crazy to think we live in a pretty blessed nation, and I hope God never leaves this nation. Let's move on, though. King Nebuchadnezzar, he starts having these dreams in the middle of the night. And the Bible says that he actually can't sleep. He is so troubled by these dreams that he's having that he has no sleep. And how many of you know that a sleepy king is somewhat of a grumpy king, right? You find that? You know, he calls in all of his sorcerers, his fortune tellers. He calls in all the enchanters of the day, and he says this to them. Listen, guys, I've had a dream. I can't get it out of my mind. I'm not going to be able to sleep until you tell me what it means. That sounds good, right? We have dreams today. We go and we ask people to help us interpret these dreams. And, you know, Kathy Fraser is a great example of that. Uh, Megan Crawford is another one who does that in our church. And Uh, different things like that. So he calls in all these people that are supposed to be able to help him, and he says, look, I had a dream. I want you guys to tell me what it is. So what's the logical thing? Tell us what the dream is. What was the dream? What was it? And Nebuchadnezzar, this is how amazingly twisted and sick this guy was. He says, listen, I'm not going to tell you the dream, but you're going to interpret whatever it was. You're going to tell me what the dream was, and you're going to give me the interpretation. I'm going to rip you limb from limb. And not only that, I'm going to kill your whole family and throw them in a pile and burn them. That's pretty irrational, anybody else think? Right? This is what this guy was. These are his own people. These are not the people of God. These are his people. He calls in and says, no, you tell me what the dream is and give me the interpretation or you're dead. I'm tired of your guys' games. Like, he was not fooling around. This guy did not fool around in any way. And these guys are like, uh... 
no, and they're begging and they're pleading. I'm like, give us some more time. Just tell us a little bit about what it is. And he's like, no, you guys are going to make me, you're going to twist it into something. You're going to make it something that it's not. And he's just going through this thing with them. And he's like, look, quit stalling. You're dead. And now Daniel and his friends, they're in prison. They're considered to be part of this group, right, of wise men. And, and they're not even aware that there is a death sentence on their lives. So they're sitting in prison and they're, you know, being indoctrinated, they're being taught all these things, and the guard shows up to the prison door and says, all right, guys, sorry, but it's time to die. The king has issued this, and they're like, Daniel's like, whoa. The Bible says he's actually very calm, but he says, whoa, what's, like, what's all the haste? What are we rushing this for? What's going on here? Like, I don't even, like, he had no clue the attack that was coming on his life. You know, sometimes things happen to us as Christians that we have no idea is coming, the enemy has plans for us that we have no idea is coming. It's important for us to be right with God. It's important for us to be focused on him and, and seeing him. And so Daniel says, like, listen, let's petition the king. Go ask him. Tell him that I'm here and that I, I just need a little bit of time to pray and to hear God, and I will do this for him. And so the, the jailer says yes, and they bring him to the king, and Nebuchadnezzar says, yes, I remember you, Daniel. You're one of the wise men from chapters before. I'll give you a little bit of time. And if you can't figure this out, then everybody's dead. I'm killing everyone. And so what does Daniel do? He goes to his friends, and, and he says, guys, this is it. Like, you need to go pray tonight. And don't stop praying until we get an answer from God. We need, to, we need God's mercy. He says, pray that God will have mercy on us so that not only we will die, but none of these people will die as well. We need your mercy. We need God's mercy. And then he goes home by himself. He doesn't talk to anyone else. He doesn't talk to the sorcerers, the enchanters. He doesn't talk to anybody. He goes home and he starts to cry out to God. He gets on his knees and he lifts up thanksgiving and he lifts up prayer and he lifts up praise to God. And the Bible says that in the middle of the night, God gave him the interpretation. Not only the interpretation, but the dream and the interpretation. When he cries out to God, God is still a God that answers, you know? Even the things that are impossible. How many of you know that was an impossible situation? The world can't interpret what God is coming to say to us, but God can interpret to the men and women of God what he's trying to say, right? I, I think it's amazing you guys think about this. Nebuchadnezzar in his amazing palace, he's got guards everywhere, you know? There's no way that a, an enemy is gonna get in and attack Nebuchadnezzar in his home. And yet God can get into his bedchambers and put a dream and disturb him so much that, that he's calling out for answers. We have a good God who gets into impossible places, amen, and, and changes things. And so I just want us to, to stir our hearts that way. What, what seems impossible right now? Are you trusting God to move on the impossible right now? What seems like it's impossible? We'll never get into that person. We'll never reach that person. We'll never. God can get into anybody's life, you guys. This is what he wants to do. This is who he is, okay? Anyway, it's important. I want to tell you this. Why do we tell you guys to learn how to pray now all the time? Because if you don't know God's ways now when things are good, what are you going to do when things are bad? Who are you going to turn? You, you can't learn how to pray when things go wrong. I mean, you can, but it's way easier if you understand and believe the character of God and are asking and searching and looking for him, and he wants to come and just show you, right? Don't put it off now what, what you could learn today. Okay, I just want to challenge us that way. The Bible said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, and you can see that in Daniel's lives. 
You know, in prayer, God showed Daniel the dream, gives him the interpretation, and man, what an interpretation it is. Listen to what Daniel 2.31 to 36 says. Daniel's now gone to King Nebuchadnezzar, comes before him, and he says this. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you. Its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron, partly of clay. But you watched while a stone was cut out with hands, without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were crushed together. And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. I'm telling you, that, that is a dream to have. I'm, like, King Nebuchadnezzar got to see the kingdom of God. It's amazing. Okay, we're going to look at this, okay? He goes to explain the statue. He said, the statue, Daniel tells him, I'm just paraphrasing for you guys, I don't want to read all the scripture, but he basically says the statue is this, what you saw, the gold of head, you know, the arms, the different, the different metals that made up this statue. He says, there are four kingdoms, and you, O Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. There is no king like you on the earth. You are the, you are the head, you know, and he just goes on, but he says that there's three other kingdoms that are coming behind you, they're inferior to you, but they are going to take over, you are going to lose your kingdom. And these kingdoms will come in, and, and interestingly enough, all four of those kingdoms actually bring great persecution to the Jewish people. But anyway, it doesn't matter. That's something that for another day, okay? But there's a fifth kingdom that mentioned, and it's the kingdom of God. And listen to this. This is the kingdom that you are part of today. This is why there should be no heaviness when we come into church on a Sunday. Until we understand this and the fullness of this, understand that God has had this set up for years, years and years and years. You guys, this is it. This is who you are. Daniel 2, 44, 45 says, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms, bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. It's the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom of our Lord Jesus, the one that he has placed in your heart. You understand, you guys, it's a kingdom that right now is alive and active in you. No, no cheers, no nothing. Nobody's excited about this at all. It's the stone cut out of the mountain that no human hand has touched. No man can take claim to that. Let God put it in their heart. You understand what I'm saying? It's the stone that the builders refused that became the cornerstone. Man. I, I don't know. Does anybody know? It's a kingdom. It does not know decay. There's no decay in God's kingdom. Right? It's not in danger of destruction. No revolt is ever going to overthrow it, you guys. No foreign army can invade it. Fire and sword cannot waste it. The combined powers of earth and hell cannot deprive God's people of their king. The gates of hell cannot stand against the kingdom of God. What is in your heart today? Are you focused on the world or are you focused on this kingdom that is alive and active in you? 
right? His kingdom shall be victorious over all opposition. The gates of hell will not stand against it. Let me say that again. Well, things are tough. Don't you know times are tough right now? Well, are you focused on the kingdom or are you focused on the kingdom of this world? Which kingdom are you looking at? Which kingdom are we looking at? I got to admit, I get my eyes off, off God's kingdom and onto the wrong ones. Let's get back to Daniel for a second. Imagine letting the most powerful king who's ever walked in the world know that there's a kingdom coming that's going to smash his puny little kingdom to smithereens. He says, that's my God. That's my God. You think your kingdom's great, oh, head of gold? That rock cut out of the mountain is going to smash you to smithereens. Nothing is going to be left of you. Now, that's, you know, that's a get your head cut off kind of moment. Forget everything else. But, but he's dead either way, right? If he doesn't have the right dream and interpretation, he's gone anyways. And what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He falls in awe of Daniel and bows before him. I find that amazing. In the midst of all this persecution, in the midst of all of this, we're talking about a guy who was just in prison days before, is now standing before the king who was laid prostrate before him in awe of the God of the universe. That's what he wants to do in our lives today. We, we may never stand before a king or a prime minister or anything like that, but, but God in his kingdom moving in you wants to do something amazing. I'm telling you guys that right now. Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel. He honors him with gifts. It's Daniel who went to God and lifted his voice in prayer and thanksgiving in the face of certain death. You know, when times are tough, we turn inwards and we're meant to turn upwards. Yeah. We're meant to turn to our friends. And, and, you know, most of us in this world, we say, you know, I, I got to carry this alone and this is my problem to bear and I don't want to burden anybody. And, and Daniel went to his friends right away and said, look, if you don't pray with me, we're all going down. Come on, somebody, get your friends, gather them, ask them to pray. I listened to a song uh, the other day from a, a church called Bethel. I asked the, the worship team to do it. They, they didn't have a chance to get it done. But the guy says in the song, it's called, We're Going to Raise a Hallelujah. And, and what happens in, in, the, in the story is, is that one of his friends in the church has a little baby who's about to die. And, and the church goes to prayer. And this is a church that prays people. And we could learn something from them, I think. I think we could go deeper. And so their friend gets, their friend's baby gets sick. They go to prayer. And three weeks later, he gets a call. And, and the, the guy says, it doesn't look good, guys. My, it doesn't look like my son's going to live. And man, they, they go to prayer even harder. And they write, and God puts a song in the worship leader's heart called, We're Going to Raise a Hallelujah in the Presence of Our Enemies. And they write this song, and they sing this song. The church goes and sings this song. That little boy, as they're sharing the testimony, is standing there in church like, he has no clue. He's like one or two, like, eh. God heals that little boy because of the power of the people gathered together. We got to stop doing this alone. We got to start going to our people. We got to start praying together. We got to stop turning inward. How do I fix this? How, what God... What do I do? And start turning to God. What will you do? I need you here. I need you in this room right now, Lord. I need you in my life, God. In the presence of our enemies, what will God do? Maybe your enemy is not physical. And we live in a time where fear is trying to grip the hearts of men and women. All across our world, fear is trying to grip every heart. Some of us need to learn how to find peace in the middle of that craziness. If people can't find peace in the church, where are they going to find it? 
they come in here and there's nothing greater here than outside in the world, man, we have the living God meeting with us right now. Why not lift our voices to him? Why not get our eyes off of our own problems? We need to find our joy. There's a psalm I look to when things are going crazy in my life. And I actually wondered if Daniel looked at this psalm too. It's the psalm of King David. Psalm 23, many of you know it. It said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I just want to look at that for a second, that verse five. Does it show up on your screen there? It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. I, I had to ask myself as I was reading these questions that every one of the comment, commentators that I read about on Daniel said Daniel remained calm throughout the whole thing. And I had to just ask God, like, how could he be calm? How was he so calm in the face of death? How was he so calm in, in the face of persecution like this and all the things that had happened to him? And you gotta understand again, this guy was robbed from his family, right? He'd had horrible things happen to his body. He was in prison. His identity was taken from him. How was he so calm? You know, the world can try to put its stuff on you, but you can stay who you are in Christ. Do you guys know that? Yeah. You can stay who you are in God regardless of everything that's going on around your life. He set a table before you right now. I, I, I believe this. You know, I, I saw one of the, the pastors that I watch very frequently. His name's Stephen Furtick, great speaker, amazing at just sharing God's word. But he, he brought a table on the stage. And he sat at the head of the table and he said, the Lord has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. He sat there and there was all these empty chairs and he went around and he said, in the presence of your anxiety and depression, he grabbed the chair. He said, in the, in the presence of your past mistakes, in the presence of those that are trying to break you down and wear you down, and he went around whatever that happens to be for your life. And then he sat down and he said, the Lord wants you to feast in the presence of your enemies. And it's not something that's just made up by a pastor. It's something that the Lord himself has said, I've set a table for you. In the presence of your enemies, in the presence of all those things that try to wear us down and take us out, right? He sets this place and you sit down at that table and you just keep your eyes on Jesus. And you feast. And you take his goodness and you take his kindness. Right in the presence of doubt and unbelief. Feast on him. Feast on what he has for you. I think Daniel understood that. I think that, that Daniel understood that God was with him at the table. He rested in the fact that 
You know, to live is to live for God. And to die is gain. You know, the Apostle Paul said that to us. I think a lot of us, when we get caught up in living for this world, we start thinking that there's so much to live for in this world, but when you really get your eyes on Jesus, you can see that to live is Christ. I was telling a friend a few weeks ago, I said, I said, I can't stop thinking about Jesus. When I hang out with people, when I meet them out there, when I'm sitting at tables with them, when I'm at campfires, when I'm everywhere, it doesn't matter who or what I'm with, all I can think about is Jesus and what he wants to do, how he wants to reach that person, how he wants to reach these people. I can't stop thinking about Jesus. In the middle of everything going on in my life, I just have to tell people about Jesus. I have to, to let them know that there's hope for their lives in the middle of all that brokenness. I, I, I think we got to start living for Christ a little bit more. All of us do. Understanding that in these end times, you know, I, we go out there, people will argue with you. Don't argue with them. Tell them about Jesus. You got people trying to argue the gospel all the time, and I just stop and say, man, are we arguing about religion or are we arguing about Jesus? Because you can't argue about Jesus. Because you can't refute what Jesus did. Jesus loved. Jesus gave his heart for us. Jesus laid his, his life down. He shed his blood. You can't refute the man of Jesus. You can argue about religion if you want, but it's useless. You know? Church is full of hypocrites. Let's be real. People, broken people do broken things to other people. It's real. We all need Jesus. Amen? Come on. Are we resting in the fact that God is in you? Or are you fixed on everything but him? Are you raising up your voice in prayer? Are you shouting hallelujah? When you fix your eyes on him, the Bible, I don't know if the Bible says this, but the old hymn says this. It says, maybe if you know it, sing along with me. It says, turn your eyes Upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Sing it again. Turn your eyes to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and Amen. Let that song fill your heart today. You know, just as Pastor Matty shared about coming back to our first love last week, I think it's time that we come back to not only our first love, but living like we're in love with Jesus. Living with kingdom values, living with kingdom purpose. You know, uh, Megan Crawford at prayer on Wednesday night had a, uh, a vision. She said, in our church... There are many people who are sitting with their cup and it's three-quarter way full. And they're okay with that. 
But what they don't see is that God's not okay with that. You know, like our psalm just said, he makes our cups run over. God wants to fill us to overflowing, church. What's holding you back from that? You, only you can answer that. Only you can answer that. What is holding you back from just letting his love and his peace and his joy, his contentment, just flow over in your life and flow into it and everyone around you? You gotta answer that. Listen to this proclamation that comes from Nebuchadnezzar later in his life. You know, as he had this encounter with a man who was focused on the kingdom. As he had an encounter with a man who knew God. Nebuchadnezzar's life get changed and, and he says this, he's, he writes this letter. He starts a letter off to his whole kingdom. He says, to the nations and people of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the most high God has performed for me. The most wicked tyrant. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, I, I think this, you guys, and there are more scriptures where Nebuchadnezzar just continually praises God. I think someday you may actually see King Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I think he became a believer. I think he changed some of his ways. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. When I'm there, if he's not there, don't be like, you said. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Kingdom living, I'm going to tell you, is the best kind of living. You know, I had all these dreams before I became a Christian, and, you know, we're supposed to write your visions down, your dreams, your goals, all that stuff down. And I wrote all these goals down, things I wanted to do before uh, I died to sort of a bucket list thing, and I wrote all these things down. And, and in my hopelessness of a young man, I, I sort of realized that none of these things were ever going to happen. And, and I actually gave up on all those dreams, and I was living in depression and all that stuff. And then I met Jesus, and I remember coming back to that list about six months into being a Christian, and, and I said, whoa, one of those dreams came true, and I didn't even recognize it. And then as the years went on, I just saw all these dreams starting to, and then God said, start writing down some more dreams. Start writing down some more things. God wants to do something amazing. When you're living for Jesus, I mean, amazing things are happening, okay? Um, trouble is we forget, and that's the warning that comes to us, to the church in Revelation. You know, you're doing all these things great, but you've got your eyes turned. And so it's time, I think this, believe, I believe this in our hearts, church, it's time for us to stir ourselves up. It's time to get back to the things that we know are important. It's time to live on purpose. Christ has called us to his great banquet table. And many find themselves too busy to even be bothered to show up to the party. Listen to what Jesus tells us about the table he prepared for us in Luke 14, 15 to 21. It says, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied with his story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field, I must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen, I want to try them out. Please excuse me. 
Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant returned, told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets, the alleys of the town, and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, when you're throwing a party, who do you normally invite first? Your friends and family, the people you know. And God is saying this, the kingdom of heaven, I sent out all these invitations to my friends and family. And they all had these things to do. They were too busy doing things that seemed good. And they were good things. There's nothing wrong with anything. Is getting married? Is that wrong? Buying a field? It's great. New, new animals? Great. But, but really what this verse is talking about is, is my people, my, his, his own people, the Jewish people, he'd been inviting them and inviting them and they weren't coming. And so finally, God said, okay, grab everyone that you can. Get the Gentiles, bring everybody into this. It was this plan all along. And so they all come in, but I think there's a warning in it, and I think the warning still stands true today to us right now. You know, God wants you to live great lives. I'm telling you that, church. He wants you to have blessed, full lives. But there are things that when God is calling and things that God is telling you to do, it's better to be obedient and to listen and to be on fire for him and living in his kingdom and his ways than doing all that other stuff that seems good. You don't want to be the people who get left behind or left out of the banquet. Amen? Don't be so busy that you miss out on what God's doing. You know, the thing I love about you guys here today, it's so cold outside, and you guys got up and minus what feels like minus 42, my weather channel told me, and you started your cars and you came to meet with Jesus today. Amen. God's proud of you guys. Hallelujah. Are you fixed on him, the things that he cares about? We're going to take communion now. I'm going to ask the, the team to come up. But communion is the great table and part of the great table of us saying that we are one with Christ and that he is ours and that we are his. And so I think the invitation goes out to all of us today. Come to my table. Come to my table and feast with me. Let me prosper you. Let me exalt you. Let me lift you up in the presence of all of your enemies. Turn your eyes away from the things of this earth and put your eyes on him today. Hallelujah. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take communion. There is a gluten-free option over here at this side. But for those of you who maybe don't understand what communion is, I just want to break that down for you. The body of Jesus was broken for us, and he shed his blood for us. And at the Last Supper, where he was having supper with his disciples, he broke the bread into pieces and gave it to them and said, this is my body, eat this in remembrance of me and what I've done for you. And so today we just continue that observation of remembering what Christ has done, that his body was broken for our iniquity, our sin, that his body was broken so that we could be made whole. And we, we take the, the wine, which is not really wine. I think it's Welch's grape juice. But the wine is representation. He, he poured a cup of wine, and he said, this represents my blood that is spilled for you. And he said, drink this in remembrance of me. And so we take that to remember the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us to make us clean, to make us right with God.
And so today we're going to invite you just as the band plays that you take time to turn your eyes on him today. And remember that in this hour, in this time, God is calling us to refocus our values. God is calling us to, to come back to our first love and to come back like living like we're in love with Jesus. And so I want to just encourage you today. Pray for a moment. Take some time to just ask the Lord to help you refocus your heart towards him and towards his kingdom living. And then come on up and dip the bread in the wine and just partake right there. And then you can head back to your seat. But we're going to take a few moments just as the church to do this. And then we'll uh, take a moment and dismiss you in a few minutes.